and welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh yeah, they had a lot to scream about last month. It was spooky season, and well, now we're post-spooky season, and... We are! We're finally out of the, the fun and festivities of October, and we're back to our regular uh, broadcast schedule. Yeah. So, I hope everybody had a good Halloween. Uh, we did not have any trick-or-treaters here. It was uh first year that we kind of expected it, bought a whole bunch of Halloween candy, and now it's all my needs. So, yeah, I'm all hyped up on <laughs> uh, mini Snickers, what's fun about small or less i don't know but yeah fun size and uh, kit kat bars so i'm ready for a good podcast today and i hope you're with me too I, well hey who won this year diabetes that's true <laughs> oh too soon no um <laughs> i have a bag of candy of my own that uh, was quite large and uh, you know there was no activity out on the roads that night so uh I, on the bright side, my plan was to buy a large bag of candy that I knew I would like. So I have been blessed by the Reese's and Kit Kat gods. So yeah, I will not be suffering for, for quite a while. I'm going to kind of parcel it out though, so that uh, I, I don't go into a, uh, you know, sugar coma anytime soon. Well, you know, the one thing is, is at least we didn't have uh, those sweet tarts. You know, well, remember those rolls of sweet tarts? Pieces of chalk. Yeah, no no black licorice at my house. No. No. Well, we only get the good stuff around No here. candy corn. I, I know, it's very Halloween festive and some people remember it fondly from childhood, but I just wanted to chew wax. I'd bite a candle. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm on the side that... I'm kind of partial to it, but, you know, after a while, there's only so much you can get of that stuff before it just tastes like, yeah, biting a candle. Yeah, if you slipped one on top of a cupcake, you know, I would be grateful for the extra cute little treat included on my otherwise awesome cupcake. But if you give me a bag of these things, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Throw them at you? Yeah. Yeah, slingshot ammo. Yeah, I well, I think we got our next Halloween episode, what to do about <laughs> Halloween candy. All right. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, Good to be back. Yeah, it's a little late this week, but we're going to sw- switch to Saturdays just because of the workload, and it just seems to work out better right now. So Yeah, and I'll- that is 100% my own issue. Uh, work has dramatically picked up in the you know, like pre-Christmas run-up. Uh, so the business of unloading trucks is really booming, uh, which <laughs> means very busy weekdays for yours truly. So... Look forward to Saturdays uh, and Sundays as being the most likely release dates for new podcasts every week. Uh, We will do the best we can to keep it coming no matter what. Right, because you can expect no less. Uh, From the... (laughs) You're stuck once again with the podcast that failed at saving throw against Terrible. Oh. And we got stuck with Terrible. Terrible. Uh, we, We made our saving throw against Awesome. So we're not putting up with any of that. We're not going to have any of that around. The podcast that thought it could make it saving throw. I think I can. I think I I I can. can. I think I can. No, No, I don't think I can. I rolled a one. (laughs) So yeah, that's us. Nat one saving throw versus awesome. All right. And speaking of awesome, we got a call in from Jason. Jason, uh, yeah, who hopefully he liked our Night Stalker. Stalking the Night Fantastic with Kolchak, the Night Stalker. 
Yeah. Uh, review. So we'll give it back to Jason. Take it away, Jason. Tell us what you thought. Hey, guys. Great episode on Kolchak. Just a couple things. Another older show that Darren McGavin's in is Mike Hammer. He did, he was the first TV. Well, he was the first TV Mike Hammer to actually do a series. There might have been a TV movie or something, but he did. He actually does a really good job as Mike Hammer. I think the term you're looking for is Uncanny Valley. Maybe not. Maybe the Uncanny Valley is something slightly different, but that's the term I've heard for something that looks not quite human. Like we see that with the CGI effects, like in these latest Star Wars movies with Carrie Fisher and Peter Cushing. Cyberpunk Red. Yeah, you know, I played Cyberpunk 2020 back in the day. I picked up Cyberpunk Red, joined a group, played it some. Eh, it simplifies it too much for me. So to let you look at my kimono, I'm currently running Cyberpunk 2020. So, But Cyberpunk Red's a, a fine game. And I definitely look forward to your guys' review of it and your thoughts on it. So even though it's not my preferred version of Cyberpunk, I'll always still prefer 2020. I, I'm definitely curious to see what you think about Red. And there are some things that Red does better. There's no question about it. So it's definitely not all bad. And it's definitely... If it was the only cyberpunk game out there, I I would play it without hesitation. So, anyhow, take care, and I will talk. To you. I guess the other look in the kimono is I really like the crunchy combat, so the more simplified combat kind of is the problem for me with Cyberpunk Red. But Cyberpunk Red really, and, and I'm not as thrilled with the world, to be honest, um, but that's because I'm an old man and, and I'm stuck in my ways. But I, I definitely think people could do a lot worse and pick up Cyberpunk Red for the Cyberpunk game of their choice. So take care, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, glad you liked it, Jason. Seems like uh, at least we hit the mark with somebody, so that's better than normal, I guess, for us. <laughs> ever missing the mark. But, uh, yeah, so uh, the Uncanny Valley, yep, that's that's what I was looking for. I missed that term, speaking of missing things. Yeah, the, uh, there was a lot of good stuff back then, and I think that uh, reviewing some of the episodes may sound boring after a while, but, you know, I just wanted to go through, and some of them just, I, you know, I remember them fondly. I, yeah, well, we did highlight a couple of, like, the personal favorites. There. Yeah. The Rakshasa yeah. episode was, for me, like, a, a big personal favorite. Loved it. Because it's got that haunting reminder that, like, that's the origin of the Blessed Bolt, uh, you know, mm -hmm. killing a Rakshasa uh, in-game. And I, I love the, like, little connections that the first creators for D&D, the, the people drafting those first books... Uh, they had been steeped in those little tidbits of TV culture. Uh, and, hey, you know, it carried over. Uh, that, that interchanging relationship uh, between gaming and popular culture wins again. So I'm a big proponent of that. That Like, there's, there's kind of a hidden surge, like, uh, like dark matter in the universe, like an undertow that, you know, Gaming has delivered this wave of creativity uh, and has borrowed from the, the same creativity of, of uh, pop culture sources, but now we have become the informers of pop culture sources. So, yeah, big, big think there. I, I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, uh, 
Not really going to go into our thoughts on Cyberpunk Red just yet. You know, you're going to oh, yeah. it all. You're going to have to. You're going to have to stand by for it's that. Grateful for the pre-thoughts, but uh, yeah, we. I, I am going to say that uh, I have some similar sentiments. Not to describe them as negative. We'll hear it all momentarily. Right. But uh, on that as well, uh, back to the Night uh, Stalker. Yeah, one thing I lament that we didn't get it too much time. And I'll just touch here is talk about different ways that affected the games and that we played. And, you know, Mike hit for me the, the spot that I wanted to get hit was the journalist is included in almost every one of the horror genres right now as, as one of the roles or occupations that you find yourself in from Dark Conspiracy all the way to Call of Cthulhu. And between those two values, I think that it's it owes a nod, whether they realize it or not, to Kolchak, because, you know, that guy just, he just would not stop in pursuit of the truth. And that's a great archetype to have as a uh, starter for a player character. Yeah, and his level of commitment didn't just end with, like, as fast as I can get this on the paper, I'm out of here. Right. It was, I also have to save lives. These people are going to die if I don't do something. And right. by God, if the cops won't help me, I'm going to go out and do it myself at the risk of my own life. That... Uh, mentality is like right at the core of the PC character uh, archetype investigator. You know, the, the journalist who, well, you know, the combat thing is not exactly my specialty, but I'm in it to win it. You know, that man, the influence that had on games for horror and mystery, ah, incalculable. Yeah, and also thanks for bringing up about the part about Mac Hammer of uh, people like Darren McGavin. Yeah, you can see him in the first uh, Mike Hammer outings, I think, on TV. There might, like you said, there might be some others out there that were before it, but uh, yeah, I didn't like the later uh, Hammer series, you know, the the one that came, I think, more into the eighties. Uh, oh that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that Stacy Keach. Stacy Keach, yeah. Uh, but I, I got to admit, the the earlier, much better. Yeah, so... Classic noir. You can't go wrong with that. All right, before we get into it, uh, do we have a forecast for what's coming next? Oh, indeed we do. Let us part the veil of time and space and peer into... The Tassiomancer ah, examines the grounds of the coffee he's wired on even now. Ah, and behold, as he gazes into the future, he looks upon 5th edition D&D Candlekeep Mysteries. Oh, wow. Yeah, an examination of the 17 mystery-themed adventures uh, that were released in the Candlekeep Mysteries book. Uh, wow, so many adventure anthologies being released now. I like it. Yeah, and, I, you know, they're not linear in the sense that, like, this is not a campaign play. Right. You have to go march through these. Uh, it is 17 different scenarios that a DM could make use of, and we're going to be having a peek at those uh, which I think is going to be an enjoyable entry into the 5e description world. Because uh, I, I feel like that's, it's a nice one that has, it, it's been around a little bit. Uh, and I'm sure other people have reviewed it online. Uh, but this is going to be kind of our maiden voyage for examining a 5e product. Uh, you know, for... Um, not not an analysis per se oh, okay. but a like intimate look at a 5e module right well we we pledged and we delivered almost a year later 
<laughs> but we got there. Okay, that's it's the journey that counts. Yeah, we had a wide, wild, weird journey along the way to here, but uh, uh, the examination of a five E module product, as opposed to like the systemic differences and things like that, or the the general broad world of its success and rise. We've looked at the meta stuff. Now we finally get to go micro. So looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, look for more of this stuff from the podcast that fails at saving throw all the time. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, so get those mirror shades out, put on your armor duster, and strap on your best heavy handgun because we're <laughs> going into the mean streets of Night City and Cyberpunk Red. Chow down on your pro kibble because you may not have time for a, a quiet meal for a while. Yep. So it's Friday night firefight. Oh yeah. So yeah, Cyberpunk Red. We've been waiting to do this one. We covered the uh, quick start or jump start, as it was called, and that was quite worthy. And I like uh, I like that a lot, but it, it lacks something. It only really detailed the Netrunner class. Well, now we're at the full game, and boy, let's tear into it. Right away, one of the things I just want to mention is the artwork and the style of this book really does set the bar even higher. I've seen some good stuff come out in the last couple of years, and I've thought, like, wow, they're just doing better and better. I mean, the Call of Cthulhu Keeper's Rulebook and Investigator's Handbook, I thought, man, that's just really well done. It's it's probably one of the best and I've seen. And, you know, then the RuneQuest, Reventuring in Glorantha, and some of the Pathfinder 2nd Edition books, Wow, really good stuff. And then the uh, Curse of Strahd that we covered, I was just blown yeah. away. <laughs> but here again, the bar, man, do we not live in a privileged time? I mean, when I remember the black and white illustration was the industry standard, and we were okay with that. Yeah, we didn't know anything else, okay? Nobody nobody invested that much. You know, like they were, in A, in a hurry to get the product out, and to their credit, uh, most people focused on like uh, easily learnable rules, uh, fun gameplay, uh, and you know, like some good advertising to get their alternative core concept out to the public. But uh, did they pour a lot of money into the art on the interior pages? Was the book itself a work of art? Not very often. Yeah, you had a few. I mean, the original 2013 Cyberpunk box set that I had, when I put this side by side, I look at it and I'm like, you've come a long way, baby. And yeah. I mean, this one is just lavish. I, I, Words fail me a little bit to put this in here, but I can definitely say it's stunning and evocative. And right away, from the cover to the interior, you're taken to Night City. It is a gorgeous and well thought out. The layout itself in Cyberpunk Red is very good. And, you know, as I'm gushing right here, if you could take Blade Runner and make it even more awesome, <laughs> this... They really, you can tell that they pay homage to almost all the classic cyberpunk tropes. Yeah, and uh, I, I do want to make one initial note uh, before we get into some of the other micro-material uh, examinations. One of the things included in this is some fiction. You know, there, there are areas mm -hmm. that the best way to explain it is to immerse a person in it and let them kind of sense the dynamic of how the game is supposed to unfold for players by reading it as fiction. Now, 
you know, there are people who Shadow don't Run's like to... done this before, and originally, yeah. yeah, right from 2013, they originally started with a story. Yeah, and this does not differ from that. Okay, this. Oh yeah. In in this sense, uh, it's a connection to the lineage of cyberpunk game releases, uh, where a certain amount of storytelling is a way to help people immerse and connect. Because I I don't mean this in a hostile sense, uh, but cyberpunk is a niche. And mm-hmm. it is not the most popular niche. It is one that I, both of the people making this podcast love. But we kind of understand and accept that it's a niche within a niche hobby. And, okay. you know, I don't think it gets the respect that it deserves. But uh, the inclusion of storytelling as a part of the game manuals is a thing that I feel was a smart choice. Uh, for some people who think it's, oh, it's a space waster, I don't need that. It's also a thoughtful consideration to the inexperienced. The, the person who has not encountered this kind of book or game before gets a chance to sink down into it, you know, let it roll over them and be in that world and in that state of mind for a while. And that's extremely important. Yeah, I, you know, I take it for granted about the literary, uh, like the Shadowrun 4th edition 25th anniversary book, just littered with uh, stories. And oh yeah. oh yeah, all sorts of things, and that's another gorgeous book too. But uh, I mean, this one every time people <coughs> get a chance to redo this, their uh, favorite games, I always like to take a moment and just enjoy the artwork. And right there, it's 2013, and I have a problem. I work in the <laughs> management. And um, if you know anything about Mike Pondsmith, you know he, he's m- pretty much able to uh, grin and bear it when he said, "Yeah, I you know originally thought that smartphones would be." Uh, that was science fiction, you know, that was just going to be something that would never happen. And, you know, when he said, I had a, a, a portable phone in, back in when we wrote uh, Cyberpunk 2013, it was a real big clumsy affair, and I didn't think that, you know, it would be that innovated upon, and now look where we're at. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, you've got some problems, and, you know, right away, I think that one of the best things is to just basically say, Hey, that's a cyberpunk that never happened. You know, that world has drifted away, and now they totally embrace a new look and a new world for cyberpunk 20, or the red, which is in the 2050s, and which also is the gateway to, a uh, sets the stage for t- cyberpunk 2077, the uh, video game. Now, a lot of people have some controversial views, people hate it, like it, whatever. We're not going to really cover that, but I... I do want to. I want to okay. rush up against. That. All right. Then. All right. I, I feel like it's an important point. There are people who were dissatisfied with the shift of emphasis, the the shift of the existing Canaan. Uh, I accept at face value Mike Pondsmith's explanations for why they did that. Is that the the future has arrived compared right. to the time thirty plus years, years ago, ago. When we were seeing the beginnings of cyberpunk as a form of fiction, literature, and gaming. Yeah, we're closer to cyberpunk red than we are from where it originally started. Yeah. Okay. So just think about that. Uh, so a re envisioning of what a dystopic future will be like technologically was completely called for and understandable. Um I know that it throws people off, and I also accept that. It is a legitimate feeling mm-hmm. to be a little put off by the fact that, ah, it's not like quite like it was. They're describing the future in a different way. You know, some of the, the ways in which it's applied to tech, 
you know, that we use every day in this game uh, is not like I remember it. Yeah, that is disconcerting, but I accept the reasons they gave for making these changes because they're not wrong, okay? The, the future is upon us, and some of the technology that we have in our hands right now overshadows the material that was available to us in the 1980s uh, in games. So, uh, and in other respects... Pat you know, Oswald has a pretty good shtick about that, about the uh, iPod. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, you know, you meet yourself and you go like... You He's got it. the uh, Walkman cassette player, you know, with the little headphones. And like, okay, you take this cassette, you snap that in half. And then the object, the half of a cassette-sized object that is left in your hand is what you will listen to music on. Well, how much does it hold? Everything ever. <laughs> yep, and that's where we are today. And, uh, and in other respects, we totally fail. Like, I, you know, I can't get a hover car. Damn it. I know, right? I can't even get a freaking jetpack. I mean, Jesus. I really expected more from this century. Okay, <laughs> I did. I thought, like, 2021 would be, where's my jetpack? And that's, that's my hill to die on, man. I'm... Very upset about the lack of personal jetpacks. But if we leave that aside... I'm biting my tongue. (laughs) This is why Cyberpunk Red made some major alterations that I feel were well thought out and did not go so far that they tore away from the core concept of the game. So I don't feel it's a diminishment, just an alteration. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's a lot of things about Cyberpunk we've covered before, but I want to add this from uh, this perspective. Cyberpunk Red is pretty much based still in the 80s. And that's really important because that's how everybody looks at it. Still, to this day, Cyberpunk, every time they tried to move it into like a transhumanist or into a more Matrix computer evolution, transhumanist experience, it's resisted. Because, just like it says in here, the street has its own uses. For everything. And so, in Cyberpunk, literally what you're doing is playing a noir-esque, gritty street scene with technology. High-tech. Mike Hammer with laser pistols. (laughs) Or automags, you know. And it's... I I kid, but, I mean, the the point is, you bring up noir, which, again, part of the reason, you know, we brushed up against that a little bit earlier is because it's so appropriate to setting. Uh, cyberpunk or cyberpunk's <laughs> success is owed to its connection to noir film, noir mindset, you know, noir which literature. is Blade Runner's aesthetic, Bingo. which was rainwashed streets, neon lights, sleazy dives, and conniving back alleys. It's a dangerous city, and I love the new Night City. I really love it. Um, I've always been in love with Night City. I know that Shadowrun's my my darling game, but Night City is so well written that I never stray from it. And one of the things that Cyberpunk is written into, and they've kind of steered away from it, in the 80s, and this is going to stray a little bit into politics, so forgive me if I ruffle any feathers, but I'm going to say this as plainly as I can. So parts of Cyberpunk in the early days were racist because the fear of the Japanese takeover of the global domination was so prevalent that in many forms, the Japanese corporation, the Zayabatsu, the salarymen, all those things were very prominent and they were part of a real fear. And they, we've later realized that 
a lot of the culture of Japan has actually rebelled against it and pushed away. Where you now see a intrinsic change or shift away from that cradle-to-grave corporate culture. You know, I, I want to comment on that for a moment uh, because there's it's a multifaceted issue. Right. On the one hand, oh, yeah, it's very it was very much an American published product uh, that reflected an American insecurity about mm-hmm. a, a encroaching global marketplace and a hostility to that global marketplace encroaching on America. Uh, and the haunting possibility that it might not all end in our favor, uh, which... Fairly okay. Uh, let, let's give people a hand. Yeah, yeah that's an issue. Uh, but there's also an egalitarianism, uh, the implication that other cultures and other businesses are likely to do well. That mm-hmm. They're full of people who have the foresight and the competence to dominate a global marketplace in the future. Uh, and, you know, that has proven to be true. That, like, you know, to walk back the hyper-Americanism, yes, other people around the world are just as capable of prospering and of leading corporations into the 21st century as any American. Uh, and, I, you know, it does, in the one hand, it reflects American insecurity, but on the other hand, it reflects a egalitarian sensibility towards all people of all nations. So, you know, it giveth with one hand, it taketh with the other. It, it's a two-edged sword. But I think that fiction. Cyberpunk did well in addressing those concerns. Well, yes, you still have Arasaka. They're jerks. Everybody hates Arasaka. It, well, I, you know, corporations are jerks translates it the same in every language. Yeah, but if you have to get to a corporation that's going to be a jerk to you as an edge runner or um, professional on the streets... Arasaka is going to be the one you got to watch out with your dealings with. Not saying that all of them are ruthless bastards. Oh, wait, they all are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, we are saying that. That is totally what we are saying. They but are that could apply to Militech as well, you know. Yes. So any of the, the corporations, especially Ziggurat, you have to watch out for. Now, that said, and getting some of the complicated things aside, uh, let's address the gameplay. Um I really love how they did the classes. They have really expanded the roles outside of their first one. Like, if in the first couple of iterations, even up in the 2020, if you tried to ask a fixer, like, hey, with a level three who wants to score some a bunch of Nova Coke for a court party, after party, excuse me, and then uh, who wants to also get his hands on a cutting or bleeding edge cyber deck, just brush off the, the printers, then... Or out of the factory wrap. What is it? Still smells like it's been freshly soldered. Yes. (laughs) What's the difficulty number that you have to set? And that was something that they struggled with in that game. And now, I think they've done a better job of addressing the role of the fixer and some of the other ones, especially the exact. Now, uh, when you speak of their having broadened the pathway options, uh, one of the core differences, and this is a thing that I I feel. understandably ruffled some feathers. Uh, the solo doesn't have quite the same emphasis. No. Everybody loves solos. So do I. Oh, yes. Okay, uh, you know, an, an aspect of the solo is the, you know, former corporate bodyguard who has gone private. Uh, and my favorite Shadowrun character was exactly that. Everybody loves a solo. Okay, but when you have a game with, like, eight solos, it really limits what the party is capable of accomplishing other than absolute slaughter. 
Oh, which, oh boy, does it do that well. Mm-hmm. Now, in Cyberpunk Red, I feel they've made a very good faith effort not to completely nerf the solo. Okay, not... They oh, didn't yeah. nerf it, but they enhanced the value of the other classes around you. Yeah, the Nomad just doesn't have a nebulous family that they can call on. They have a moto skill. They can improve their ride as well as still have contacts with their family from their background. And that's a big thing that has always made Cyberpunk fun is the life path system. So when let's take a break from yeah. it and talk about... Yeah, I think we got a little ahead of ourselves on that one. But sure. let's talk about the character creation system. Okay. Um, I want to give them both a hand and a little bit of criticism. Uh, some people do not like the simplicity, uh, like the, the speed package, where you can just slap yep. together lower-impact characters very quickly, uh, you know, hand out some templates, and boom, got a game. I understand that criticism, and I do agree that, again, that is slightly off-putting because for you know those of us with a little more old-school gaming experience, the building of characters in the traditional way was also part of our experience. However, from a marketing perspective of putting forward a game in the 21st century and trying to make it welcoming to new players, having both systems available in the book was a good call. Yes. You have the simple path where you can bang, okay, we got a game. Or you can put the time and the effort mm -hmm. and the investment in character background, which they have expanded upon nicely. So the ability to keep the complexity and the depth of the characters is there, but you don't have to if you don't want to. Both types of games can happen, where you hand out six sheets and pow, they're right in the middle of this, or you sit down together and you're like, oh man, I am building the best character ever. I love this guy! <laughs> right, and you can, and the life path is used in both the simple and the complex versions. And the complex versions, obviously for old hands or people wanting a little bit more in-depth in their characters, you can roll or choose, it's your choice, on what you want. Um, you can also invent new things. Uh, for instance, I've already started on the military chic look for the streetwear uh, options as well because I felt that was missing. Ah. But uh, that's just me. So making characters in Cyberpunk is always a fascinating thing because the life path makes char characters of two roles completely different in their outlooks. And that's an important thing. And the life path has always been a prominent part of Raul Telzorian's games approaches they've used in a lot of different ones but in cyberpunk it was my first brush with it and i really enjoyed it and i'm glad that it stayed i like the life path because you can always get some you can start out as a bright-eyed exec thinking the best <laughs> things have happened and you end up on the streets eating kibble <laughs> out of an empty chinese food box in the back alley thinking of starting it all over again yeah <clears throat> You know, one, one day you're riding high, and the next day you fall into the lowest tier of society. Uh, but the point is, like, how did you get to where you are? Right, and there's a lot of stories to be told in that. and that's There's it, a lot of stories in the Naked Night City. Yeah, and there you go, the Naked City, Night City. It's quite... Again, back to the noir. Yep. Yeah, we're going to riff on that a lot. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's inescapable with <laughs> cyberpunk. Now, uh, going forward, back to the classes. Yeah, I really agree with you about the solo. I mean, I, and I like it. I like that the solo has more than just going first and uh, always finding danger fastest. You have to do, uh, assign your priorities. You can, have, you can uh, take dam less damage from the first shot. 
or do more damage in the first shot or find a critical point and analyze a weakness. And you have to set it up before combat. Once combat begins, those set values are set. And then after combat, you can reset them again. I get that people found that somewhat upsetting because the incredible flexibility and freedom of the solo in the initial game uh, was its high point. I mean, it, it was part of the excitement, and I appreciate and actually agree with the assessment that the solo is not quite what it used to be. That is an accurate perception. People are not wrong about that. No. Now, when I back away from my personal like enjoyment, uh, and I step back to a Game Master's perspective where you're managing a team of six people, I don't see this as a deficit. Mm -hmm. I, I see this as a adjustment to enhance the usefulness of everybody else in the party uh, and to keep everybody involved. Because I will candidly admit that having been there and done that, one of the hazards of early cyberpunk gameplay was, like, what if you had a party and there's only one person who's the solo? Uh, <laughs> Okay, we open initiative. As the combat begins, somebody has drawn a gun in the back of the room, and the solo moves. Everything in the room dies. It's been 0.2 seconds. And that was your game. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was our combat session. The solo goes back to drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, the ice didn't even feel like you know, melting his glass. I... Good Lord. Yeah, the cartridges are still falling to the floor, and <laughs> the ice is just clinked. All right, yeah, in his drink. So yeah, maybe he yeah, throws, it, a, throws a coin in the air, kills everybody in the room, and catches the coin, and then sits back down and has his drink. It was very disappointing for the people who like, anybody who was not a solo, and so everybody became solos. Then you had a room full of solos, and the DM would have to inevitably like, okay, uh, you know. Jerk Corps just sent 500 armed goons to surround this building. The hallways are filled with them, and your job is to fight your way out. Uh, and that was the adventure, because you had six freaking solos. Everybody put their mirror shades on and started playing Prodigy Firestarter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, just uh, run the sequence from the Matrix where they, they break into the building to get Morpheus out, uh, and it's just Neo and Trinity. Uh, and they have, like, you know, an entire squad of, like, you know, armed troops to work their way through, and they annihilate them. I'm not saying that isn't fun if you're all solos. That That's a good way to spend a night. But if you wanted to do something different than that, it was problematic. And now, now it's not as problematic. The yeah, solos, there's still nothing to be trifled oh, with. Yeah, do, do not take our, our little lecture on this to mean that the solo is now a wimp. Oh, no. That damage reduction and their uh, precise shots or precise strikes can really, really do bad. Uh, yeah. Do you bad. And what they've done is move the emphasis of the solo's strengths into multiple categories. They that can you can still go first. Yeah, that, that you can select. You can, <laughs> you can always choose the, I want to go firstest and mostest, but you have other options. Like, yeah. I am a living damage sponge that you don't... Like, I'm literally doing the... The Wade I'm Wilson. taking this fight. I'm doing the Deadpool thing with the swords where I'm literally cutting the bullets so that they can't hurt me. Uh, you can you can run with the damage reduction thing and make that your, your kick for a round so that other people can participate. Or you can go first. And, okay, yeah, this time is the time to kill everybody in the room. All right. <laughs> so 
But I also want to talk about the fixer with the night market. I like yes. that. That really set the stage for really making the fixer the central part of the deal maker and just not the face man. They're the ones who can pull out all sorts of resources to create a market where you can sell and buy loot that you couldn't get anywhere else. And that is important in this game because cyberpunk, you keep your players hungry and wanting more. Jobs suck and they pay little and they're very dangerous. And what money you get and you can keep, you save so you can buy better stuff and get the heck out of there. That's the core reality of the cyberpunk experience and that is the fixer's job is to navigate that tangled street economy that just exists inside that nebulous network of connections and underground syndicates as well as criminal elements from all sorts both corporate and legal so I like that, and the Nomad as well, having a motorpool to improve the ride with, which becomes the at the wheels of the group. And I, I want to uh, go just a little further with the picture when you mention the Night Market. Okay. Let's explain for the listener what the Night Market per se is. It's the ability to, like, yeah, <laughs> I conjure instant bizarre. Right. Uh, not not quite, but, like, you, you exercise all your connections, and it's, like, swap meet tonight at this location, limited time only. You know, we all gather. We've got maybe 15 to 20 minutes to barter, you know, bicker, deal, and work our way to getting what we each want. And then we're out of there before anybody knows better. That is the night market. Yeah, it's a great idea because before you had to go through all these connections and legwork just to get a couple items fenced and sold. Now a fixer... Once they're over level five, they can start to invest into a night market. And of course, the higher they are, the more good stuff that they get. But it's also a good way to let the player have some control of all the power that a and connections that a fixer is privy to inside the game. And, you know, let's not uh, dismiss the techs and med techs because they have definitely improved them from just being the guys who have and make and gals that make the gear or folk. It's my gun! They now modify stuff and create new items with their tech pool. And, you know, fixing you up after a firefight is always handy. Nobody's going to say that a med tech is bad. But having the ability to help and not just in combat, but also boost your performance before combat is important. <laughs> hey, some of those drugs, they may have a few side effects. But you know what? Before a firefight... Loading up with a little bit of black lace certainly helps. Well, that and... Without the side effects. You know, one of the dark sides of the cyberpunk verse was the frequent use of, like, substances. Yeah, drugs. Uh, and it, it was often a contentious issue at the dawn of the game. People asked questions about, you know, ah, what are they saying? You know, that this is okay somehow? Yes, do drugs. <laughs> well, you know, again, um, it was less an endorsement of <laughs> personal abuse of drugs... And more an acknowledgement of the fact that if there is a means by which to gain advantage in a very disadvantaged situation, then people will take that. Okay, that whatever, yeah. like if it's solos who have a way to amp themselves up right before a firefight and improve their odds of survival. Booster gangers. You know, it it's what they do because it will help you win. Uh, and then when it's over... The wonderful side of the realism and grittiness of cyberpunk was that there was a dark side, a, you know, terrifying level of addiction, need, you know, cutting and into the your crash. Profit. Yeah, cutting into your profits. 
uh, temporarily incapacitating you, it spelled out very clearly that, like, this is a hazardous choice. I mean, you can do this, yes, but there's a bill coming due for this, and you are not going to like it. And I found the honesty about that refreshing. Mm -hmm. I don't find it intimidating at all. Because uh, they're not. Yeah, I joke. You know, yeah, is the, what is the message? Do do drugs. <laughs> okay. And uh, also be aware that when you use drugs, there are consequences and side effects. Yeah, be everything careful. comes with a price tag attached. Welcome to the future. The future yeah. is now. Uh, and that, it meant candidly that the players would go through the process of discovering both the advantage and the disadvantage in the course of gameplay. I thought it was very candid and very realistic. Yeah, and uh, lawmen now, instead of having authority to freeze, they just have backup, which is appropriate for them. <laughs> uh, the execs, are, or corpse, are now execs, and they get two uh, non-player characters that kind of do their dirty work. Or as long as they are well-paid and not too put upon. Yeah, the, the you know corporate guy class uh, uh, exactly. or, or gal uh, the executive uh, now has, you know, like a, a viability as a player choice that, you know, really not, it was not that much of a choice before. Okay, It was, was resources, yeah. Yeah, that, that was more of a DM's choice there where, you know, like, okay, I will draft this so that I, I have a template to base this character concept on as an NPC. And now it's kind of viable as, as a player character class. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. And Not that we should empathize with the corporate scum. No. <laughs> yeah, because all the street types are neo-socialists. <laughs> I can't blame them. Getting railroaded by a corporation constantly kind of makes you anti-corporate right off the get-go. But let's talk also yes. about the rocker boy having their charismatic impact other than just being able to sway people's uh, moods for one concert. Now they have groupies and hangers-on that they can have affiliation with. They can get them favors. Not to mention a certain amount of inroad with media uh, and a certain amount of inroad Yeah, with, and that's uh, what, that leads us to corporate. my other favorite class in cyberpunk the genre, the media. This credibility score. Welcome back, Kolchak. Yeah, and welcome back, Max Headroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Channel 54 is best. Ah, uh, yes, Max Headroom. Really, honestly, we, we almost should do an episode just for that entirely. But Yeah. Uh, if, if, for the younger listener, may I suggest just searching the words, Max Headroom. Very brief phenom, uh, but science fiction relevant. So. Yeah, and also a cultural phenom, because they actually hacked in and somebody did a fan, yeah. Max Headroom, during a actual live cast. So, but the media's role is credibility and they can convince people of the truth. Now say what you want about how we view the media now, mainstream media news, fake news. Yeah, these guys, they live on the cutting edge of it. They bring it to the audiences constantly from reality shows to all over. They can sway public opinion in a heartbeat. And a good reporter in Night City carries much more clout than a solo with a, an anti-tank weapon. Well, uh, much wider reach, you know. Sure. The, the solo can kill a building, uh, but the media <laughs> guy can kill an idea. Okay? Yep. That, that uh, or you know, can shield you from consequence. You know, with 
by exposing something to such a degree that the corporation goes into damage control mode. And, okay, executing the witnesses is no longer an option. That's not our primary concern. Switch all of our resources to human uh, interaction. We're going to go into apology mode and we'll just do the I'm sorry video. <laughs> yeah, played well. Uh, a media can tear apart a corporation's stock options in a matter of minutes with one podcast. Or, now, mind uh, you, in the uh, game, they always recover eventually, but uh, hey, a, a massive hit to the old stock portfolio. Can get rid of one of your high-placed enemies Bingo. in a second. They can be refired. Cancel culture! You know, thank you, hardwired Walter John Williams. Mm -hmm. You know, a turnabout is fair play. You use that clout and influence to screw us. Oh, no. What? It's not a fair game when we use the clout and influence to screw you? Oh, man. You'd almost think that <gasps> there's something hypocritical about thinking that you're special and absolved from any risk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, went there. Um, no, uh, it's a merciless world of the future. And any weapon... Every weapon is open for use. There mm -hmm. are no you know, bystanders. Everything is potentially a tool, an asset, or a problem. Now, the last class we're going to talk about is one of the iconic. It's the Netrunner. And the Netrunner has remained much the same, but had the biggest change in their role. Because the net has changed completely in the time of Cyberpunk Red. Yeah, this is something that, like we, we made mention of, with the changing way in which some of the technology was approached. And I, I totally accept the judgment that some of these changes were necessary. Because to, it, instead of being a nostalgia game that, you know, homages its original incarnation exclusively... Uh, here is something that is an evolving game mm -hmm. that has acknowledged that, okay, our perception of what technology is like now versus 50 to 60 years from now, it's rapidly changing. And the right. game has to change to keep up with that and keep the feel of being weird and a little out there. So it's more like how the original Neuromancer envisioned it. It's not a worldwide net. Of course, there is connectivity, but now you have to find nodes. And you have to be in proximity to them. You just can't sit on a council and surf the internet all day. You've actually got, and although there are agents that can do that for you, agents being your smartphone AI that actually does a lot of your interactions and keep, manages your social media while, you, and even your house while you're not <laughs> there. The Netrunner has the... Wiretap? Uh, please give me a recipe for pancakes. Yeah, that's right. Oh, and lower the temperature two degrees in the living room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, here, the Netrunner has the interface ability where they can actively interface from everything from cyberware to other gear and also the old-fashioned opening doors to elevators, shutting off cameras and doing all the other stuff. But they're now part of the team and instead of giving them... In the old Cyberpunk and Shadowrun, you had to take... The Netrunner aside, or a hacker, a decker, and make a game for him. Now, with uh, Shadowrun and Cyberpunk Red, they're just doing it on the fly and in proximity to things. So Again, you know, keeping every member of your team of players engaged and interested was something they had an eyeball on. So these were not unintentional choices. They, right. I, I and feel that from a game designer slash game master friendly 
perspective, they did well on this particular issue. I also uh, recommend highly the net running deck. That's uh, also it's about thirteen dollars. Yeah, about thirteen dollars. I don't remember. I just bought yeah, it. Yeah, it is a deck of cards that is suitable for high speed, uh, easily resolvable gameplay uh, in game. You know, with of course uh, the DM. You can do this without the deck. Yep. But the deck is an option that enables a sort of, you know, visible, on-the-table, mm -hmm. randomized series of events. Or preset, either Yeah, one. you can have a preset course of events, or you can, you know, throw a little wildness their way, you know, if the DM chooses to, to randomize. What, I was just trying to hack to vent it, and there's a freaking Lich Black Ice program in there? Who does that? Welcome to Cyberpunk Red. Yeah, welcome to a major corporation's uh, corporate security. Uh, you know, that... Those uh, intrusion countermeasures are going to be commensurate with the value. Like, look, yeah. If, if you were looking up the roster for like how many swizzle sticks did they order for the corporate uh, coffee, you know, clash? <laughs> okay, nobody would really care. I was like, oh, oh there's not even a firewall on this. Um, but like, you want the illegal experiments underneath Raccoon City that could theoretically result in the death of half of humanity overnight? Yeah, you know what? That's going to be a challenge. So unleash you, the Kraken. Yeah, unleash the Kraken. Super ice. Oh. <laughs> or so, yeah, it's up to the you know game master to select the appropriate level of opposition. But throwing in a little randomness, yeah. Nice option. So the deck is a beautiful tidbit that anybody can purchase, and it is not wildly expensive. No, it's it, it complements the game well. Yeah, and. Okay, so we've covered the character creations. We beat to death about the solo. We wanted to talk about it because it's really favorite class of ours, oh, if you yeah. couldn't tell. But getting into that, my other favorite class is the media, which I just <laughs> totally love the credibility. Just make up a, a smear story on some corporate guy and watch him be tossed out the top floor. <laughs> wait, wait, I've got to clean out my desk. You won't need it. <laughs> the total RoboCop style, you know, they don't even care that somebody just got murdered by Ed 209. They're just mad that because it's going to set the project back a couple months. Yeah, an incident like this is just, it's going to diminish my future corporate career. I don't want to be thought of as a... It's going to take, our stock options are going to go down a couple points, you know. Take a bath on this one. They don't care. So, and why should you? <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's the power of the media. I, I like to, to see the, the media return. Um, and you know, it's pretty much still the same one. So talking about the combat system, yeah, the Friday night firefight as opposed <sighs> to the Monday night massacre or <laughs> Wednesday Wednesdays for wash day because everybody's got to have a day to wash. <laughs> You know, Saturday night slaughter. Yeah, if we do, if we don't get at least one day off per week to Saturday slam gear, down, you know, starts to yeah starts to get really rank. Tuesday throwdown. Nobody respects a blood soaked duster. You gotta clean it sometimes. So yeah, you got those days off, and uh, but Friday night seems to be the firefight night, and the system, yeah, still pretty lethal. Uh, yeah, as mentioned, is it? Uh, <sighs> Cut down a little bit, sure. I would say that there's some parts in there that, uh, if you like them, hey, you can still put them in. I don't see why they're uh, 
if you want to say why they're not there, I think they're to speed up play. But I think the uh, overall approach to the game was to make it firefights fast, furious, and easy to resolve. So you can get on with not only just the combat, but the story. Blowing up some booster gangers can be uh, quicker than before because some of the hit locations just don't matter as much. Yeah, and let's just say that like there's a core difference between a gaming table uh, 30 years ago and a gaming table now. There's an open acknowledgement, I think in the way in which games are designed at this time, that it is meant to be able to include more players. Yeah. Whereas the needs were not so great back then. If you only had three people who were gamers on a Saturday night 30 years ago, uh, you know, combat resolution wasn't going to be particularly exhausting. It is not unusual in this day and age to have eight participants. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, like, I mean, both of us have been through the hell of DMing a dozen plus people at some point in our DM times, and you know, like more than once, it is a freaking marathon. Oh my gosh! You know, sometimes yeah, Pathfinder has basically taught me that it's it so can be I, rough sometimes. I understand streamlining the combat somewhat. I don't feel that it has deviated greatly. Uh, yeah, you can still is, take a called shot to a chromed out booster on the verge of cyberpsychosis. Boosted up with black lace and ready to kill you. You can still headshot that guy. And you may take a couple. But, yeah. uh, There are some things that uh, in this game that speed it up a little bit. Yeah, auto fire is a little easier to navigate. I'll agree with that. Um, But the weapon damage has not dramatically gone down. And the ability to resist that damage has not dramatically gone up. Uh, Defraying some of it is... I think, more plausible in this current system. Uh, you know, like uh, reducing... There, there are some means by which to take some of the edge off of the lethality of the game. But it ain't much. Yeah, when a corpse security goes full auto with an FNHER on you and you are behind a concrete barrier, you'll thank your lucky stars that you had the idea. Even if you're the toughest street-hardened solo, you still want to take cover because you live this long by being smart, not standing out in the middle and just, yeah, I just let him shoot me. Okay, yeah. bye. Yeah, that running... You know that, quick character, character, that quick character generation system? You're going to need it. <laughs> That's what it's for, folks. Uh, <laughs> next team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Combat, I still think, is lethal. If you roll them up quickly enough, you may get to loot your previous characters' bodies. Yeah. <laughs> While they're still warm. So oh, start wow, rolling can... fast, guys. Yeah, I can... I gotta get to my fixer's spleen. He had a little really hot uh, cyber spleen bioorganism implant, man. Yeah, if I get there before it spoils, you know what that's worth on the open market? I know, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, get it to the organ liquor as fast as you can. All right, there's a little old lady from Pasadena who needs a new spleen transplant. <laughs> Unfortunately, this one is going to jack her up and have her <laughs> punching out everybody else in the retirement home by instinct alone. <laughs> That's what you get for cheating at Mahjong, Marge. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can tell I yeah, the Tassio answer had his coffee today. Yeah, <laughs> and boy, are we all thankful for that. And also, let's get on with the other part of the system that's not talked about here is the skill resolution system. Still the same one it's always been and a lot more expanded. Uh, better skills and that are l- more focused rather than open-ended. And I also think there's some 
Still some room for specialization uh, rules. Maybe we'll see that in the supplement. And getting to the last part here is Night City itself and the time of the red. And a lot of changes have happened since the fall of the towers, and they talk about it. And as well as the new street economy. Yeah, they take some time out to... And remember, this is a you know single book, uh, which contains all of the core rules uh, in the finest tradition that I love the most. Okay, uh, when I when I speak affectionately of many other games, uh, I have occasionally in the past mentioned that I like the fact uh, that the essentials were available in a single volume. Uh, now, this does not mean that I hate games that require two and or three volumes to to get the ball rolling. Uh, but it is one of the minus column items uh, to me for, for instance, uh, Dungeons & Dragons. All of its various editions have respected the like kind of three core book rule uh, for the fledgling DM. Uh, in the years since, we have seen a huge number of games crop up where only a single book is required. They really strive to get that one book out that, like, this is everything you really need to get a game started and the rest is like fluff and add-ons and expansions and things like that, which are great. Like the Vendit tables alone add, just call out for a game master in the odd in the odd hour. Yeah. To just create more tables. But Cyberpunk has gone with exactly that, and so the, like the times, the things that he's mentioning are the background information that are well covered here, not thinly covered, but well covered. Uh, with like the new street economy, which you're going to want to know. For the fixer, yeah. This is what I wanted from the old 2020. As I wanted a good economy like this, so I could determine what fencing loot and acquiring new stuff was all about. <laughs> now, <laughs> also want to mention, uh, take a moment out to mention. There's a lot more stuff that didn't make the book on the that was on the cutting room floor that Ralph Talzorin has offered for free. That's right, free on their website. You can get like. Uh, hardened mooks and not only just character sheets but um, a screen sheet generator night city we weather uh, let's see here <laughs> the uh, tabloid generator and reference letter generator uh, old guns old yeah. guns yeah they covered the old guns and cargo containers and cube hotels so you've got a lot of stuff that just right off the bat free can help enhance your game if you need a little extra boost or this is your first time in night city if this is your first time in night city think well, of it as player made mods for a computer game yeah like, like this is just open exchange of ideas and you know that the cyberpunk people are 100 percent down with this you know this it is a great atmosphere that we live in now where the exchange of ideas is so open mm -hmm. and there's so much material for the game master to make use of and enhance their game with so, yeah, terrific, terrific community. Love. We love our fellow cyberpunk fans. Well, yeah, and that they offer it for free, the stuff that did, that got cut from the rulebook for space reasons. Yeah, you know, it's all it's all there, and it's all ready to use. It's yeah. not... Uh, They're not, not holding on to it, you know, with like... Argh. But the 259th rule of acquisition clearly states... Yeah, no, uh, they just said, hey, man, uh, we had some other stuff left over that would have been awesome... Uh, but we're trying to keep the book within a good budget price. So here's all the extras, man. Dig it. Yeah, don't get me started on DLC for video games, man. We'll be here for a month. Yeah, I'm still super bitter myself. Um, but yeah, so 
Man, Cyberpunk Red, come back with a blast from the past and into a new age. And I'm just really digging the fact that people are once again talking about Cyberpunk. And maybe the Cyberpunk 2077 video game was a bit of a letdown for folks. I can understand that. But hey, if you were disappointed in the video game and felt like you were on a linear path, pick up Cyberpunk Red. You won't be sorry. Yeah. Uh... <clears throat> make your own path. Make your own adventure. It's your whole world. And if you don't like something in Cyberpunk Red, like, for instance, I don't like some of the uh, the more comical games. I like them to be serious. So instead of the bozos, I have the juggalos. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whole different theme. Oh, man. Oh, man. Really? Are you mm -hmm. telling me, like, if, if I uh, sit down for a game of this with you, uh, I, I get to, like, you could send a whole squad of juggalos after my Yeah, you, they, maybe they have a beef with you. Yeah, exactly. You could just mow them down like wheat. No, oh. wheat. And, of course, the law enforcement would just be like, well, that's going to blow out my numbers for the uh, body count lotto for tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'd charge you for it, but you might be able to countercharge me for having committed a public service. <laughs> yeah, and anything you want to change in Cyberpunk Red is up to you. And if you like certain adding things, it's just as easy as uh, taking them away. Yeah, I, I'm going to come down on, look, and I know it's a little bit of a familiar uh, note for me. This is something I, I riff on a lot, which is uh, PM agency, okay? The, the creative agency that is allowed to the person running a game. I'm a big fan of that, and I'm a big believer of that, and I feel that this edition of Cyberpunk Red uh, really improves and like offers a lot of DM agency. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't feel that it is in any respect a failure at that. Yeah, your Night City is going to be different than somebody else's, and go for it. Don't feel like you have to play Mike Pondsmith or anyone else's. Yeah, if you Make want to start making tweaks and adjustments, you know the power is there. And this, the system and rules are pretty supportive of that. Yeah, and remember, cyberpunk's all about style over substance. <laughs> that making a big impression, making a big splash, is sometimes the best call to make. In the original spirit of the game, which Mr. Pondsmith has like repeatedly uh, included in both fiction and other explanations, you know, his concept of that 1980s view, you know, the romantic impression of a dystopic future which i know it's weird to say a romantic it, impression of a dystopic future okay but there is a noir mentality it is transplanted onto a futuristic template uh, and that gives you a kind of dark beauty and that is what attracted people to blade runner and ultimately to like the expressions of cyberpunk to neuromancer to walter john williams hardwired and even to Shadowrun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's... It's carried over into games, and that's how we got here. So they have shown terrific respect to the original core concept yeah. while helping to make it more valid in a 21st, a very real 21st century environment. And man, you know, here Ooh. it is, you know, like uh, from the 80s to 2020, uh, you know... <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I thought going out the door with a filter mask in uh, the cyberpunk or Shadowrun world was uh, a trip. And now I go out with a mask <laughs> on my face. All right. Well, hey, we appreciate you taking a ride with us through the mean streets of Cyberpunk Red and Night City. And we hope you enjoyed it. 
Um, I think that rounds it out for us. And of course, if you have any questions or comments, you can get a hold of us on the Dice of Screaming Facebook page, or you can download the Inker app and like us as one of your favorites where you can get notifications when we put out a new podcast, which we try to do every week. So without further ado, we're going to wrap this up and may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.